I'm certain that I am dating myself, but in 1989, the Rolling Stones embarked on a worldwide tour in conjunction with the release of a new album called Steel Wheels. The CD had a track called Mixed Emotions, and the lyrics included these lines. You're not the only one with mixed emotions. You're not the only ship adrift on this ocean. You're not the only one feeling lonesome. You're not the only one with mixed emotions. Well, in keeping with the Stones' persona and the existential reality, their solution for this problem of mixed emotions was to party and to party hard. <laughs> While that may not be the best solution to this existential reality, it is an accurate description of it. We as human beings often do have mixed emotions, conflicting emotions about our lives, about circumstances, about reality. Easter is a season, and this is the third Sunday of Easter. And this is what the disciples must have felt after the events of the Holy Week that we celebrated just a short time ago, of the rejection, death, and burial of their leader, of their very hope for the future, for the restoration of the King of Israel from the Davidic line, the royal house of David. And then this, the remarkable events of Easter, of the resurrection. On Easter Sunday, we heard of the empty tomb. In the Gospel of Mark, it is a very simple story, and it says that the disciples fled in terror and amazement, which had seized them. They say nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Fear raises its ugly head. Last Sunday, we heard of the post-resurrection appearance on the road to Emmaus in, in the Gospel of Luke. Two disciples are walking along this road and do not recognize their companion. It is only in his explaining the meaning of the Scriptures and in the very breaking of the bread together that he is known to them as the risen Lord. They went out and found the other disciples to tell them. They proclaim, He has risen. He has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. This week our text follows that text, and Jesus stands in the very room with the disciples and appears to them. What strikes me as I read the text that Missy just shared with you is the vast range of emotions and thoughts that his appearance generates amongst the disciples. First, they are startled and terrified, as if they are seeing a ghost. They are frightened. The specter of fear comes among them. I think to my history and the Great Depression, which was the greatest challenge economically to this country, even exceeded what we experienced just a decade ago. Franklin Roosevelt took office, and at his inaugural address, he said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. I remember William Sloan Coffin standing in this pulpit. He reminded us of the evil that people can do if they are afraid. 
Simply being afraid can lead to all sorts of calamity and evil when we act out of our fear and our lack of understanding. There are many examples of this in our history. One example is our internment of Japanese Americans in concentration camps during World War II, which now has been almost universally recognized as a great injustice. But not then. We were afraid. We were afraid and we did an unjust thing to our fellow citizens. As William Sloan Coffin said, nothing scares him like frightened people. Something that is so unexpected also can cause fear, so contrary to all of our human experience. It acts upon our minds. It says in the text that the disciples had doubts. Doubts arose. Were they really seeing and experiencing what they thought they saw and experienced? And it took Jesus explaining the Scriptures to open their minds to a new understanding, to an understanding of what had occurred and what it really meant for them and for all time. Finally, their hearts and minds come to joy and wonder, joy which is deeper than simple happiness, joy at the wonder of this great event that has changed all of history, has changed everything. To return to the stones, those disciples were not the only ones with mixed emotions, not the only ship adrift in the ocean, not the only ones feeling lonesome. We too have mixed emotions. We too have mixed thoughts about any encounter with what is contrary to what our experience of reality may be. The first thing we must remember is that Easter changed everything for these disciples. Easter had changed everything because they had encountered the risen Christ. And it's true that we, far removed from that time and place, far removed in history and circumstance, still we recognize them as human in their emotions, in their thoughts, and we recognize ourselves in those thoughts and those feelings. We are people who have the ability to think and to feel. Many of us are familiar either through work or through personal counseling with the Myers-Briggs personality inventory. We know from that, which is based on Jungian psychology, that there are four axes that are really evaluated. How much of an extrovert to an introvert, how much sensing to intuition, how much thinking to feeling, how much perceiving to judging. On the thinking and feeling, it's obvious that we all come out on some scale where one function may predominate over another. And we may feel that where we are is where everyone else should be as well. But we're all part of this continuum one way or another. We're all called as thinkers to also be feelers, as we are also in reality both together. 
However, the cautionary tale that we learn from that is that the older we get, the more we work on our less dominant function, and we thinkers need to work on our feelings, and we feelers need to work on our thinking. We do need thinkers and feelers in this world and in each and every one of us, but neither of us on one side or the other should feel or believe that ours is the only way or more appropriately that we have the ultimate truth. It is more both and than either or. As our politics remind us today, and maybe it's always been true, but we are divided, often bitter and angry. We tend to blame our leaders for a failure to act or a failure to compromise or reach consensus on many issues. And perhaps this is justified. There are many special entrants, interests that influence legislation, a great role of money in national politics. However, I was struck a few years ago in reading a column by Robert Samuelson who talked of us as having a politics of self-esteem. He made the point that people actually may receive a psychic payoff by not compromising, by not recognizing the view of the other side, or other sides, if you will. There are many influences on people, and we tend to blame individuals. But I think our leaders are amazingly responsive to the views of their constituents. And oftentimes, we are allowed to feel more virtuous, indeed superior, to those we oppose. And that somehow to compromise or somehow is a failure, a failure of character or intellect or will or judgment. What this means is that we have to look to our own motives, our own interests, to indeed our own shortcomings. This may be a bit of an oversimplification as we tend to do when we generalize, but in theology in the 19th century, there was something called liberalism, which is not necessarily political liberalism, but liberalism in a very optimistic view of human nature. It in, there has been a critique that there may have been an undue optimism about our ability to make progress, about how we could overcome our problems, how we were on a path to improvement and success, that our problems were being solved, that we had the capability to confront and defeat problems that had plagued humankind through the centuries. Thus, in the 20th century, we encountered two world wars, a Great Depression. Great Depression, the greatest crisis this country faced economically. A world war where 50 million people died. And there arose in theology a sense of neo-orthodoxy, a Christian realism about human sin, not just individual sin or shortcomings, but societal, corporate, systematic denial of fundamental human values and rights. Thus, we became more skeptical of human nature and of our ability to solve our problems and of systemic and corporate realities. We very much have that today, where we have the tension between an optimism about our ability to solve problems and a pessimism about our own character, our own ability. 
We're all often skeptical and we hold to our belief in the midst of that skepticism as the disciples did, a belief in the resurrection, a belief in the resurrection that occurred in history and a belief that that resurrection resonates in our world today. One of the things we value most is the sense that all people, and I've heard Glenn Miles say in this pulpit, all means all, that all people are made in the image of God and are eternally with God. And thus we are freed, freed from that sense that the future is iffy, that all of what we do today is about getting to the sweet by and by or that heavenly world. No, because that is taken care of, we are indeed free, if you will, to lead this life, the life that we have been given in all its abundance. It says that Jesus came to give us life that we may have it abundantly. And to take this life in the light of the resurrection, which is secure, in the light of this Easter season. I'm not calling for everything to be compromised. I know there are some issues that cannot be compromised, perhaps, in our own understanding. I'm not calling for a golden mean, something that's in between, as Aristotle would have said in his ethics. But I am calling for us to be realistic about who we are and our motives, and also to be optimistic in the light of the Easter season that we have been given. Easter, as I said, is not one Sunday in a year. In fact, every Sunday is the response of the church to that gift of the resurrection. And we too, as people of faith, like those disciples, have our encounters with the life of the Spirit, with the living Christ, with the transcendent, which transforms all things and can offer us a path through this life. Our reactions can be mixed emotions as the disciples when we encounter the divine. We may at first be fearful or startled, even terrified. We may reject, suppress, or talk ourselves out of an experience. Doubt and disbelief may arise. Our emotions or our thoughts may deny the reality of the experience we have had. And yet God is working in our lives. God's Spirit is present to each and every one of us. The resurrected Christ is in our midst, guiding us in the transformation of life, not only our personal lives, but the life of the wider world, the world in which we live and breathe and have our being. For it is the Spirit that comes to us that we live and breathe and have our being. Of course, we can be misled by our others and selves into believing something is from God when it is not. In spiritual direction or spiritual companionship, it's clear that we need as people of faith to discern the movement of the Spirit in our lives, to ask, is this really from God or from somewhere else? I think of the situation where the Prime Minister of Israel, Itzhak Rabin, was assassinated. His assassin professed to be acting for God. And yet if one discerns the Spirit, one has to ask the question, is that truly the will of God 
Is that discerning God's Spirit? There are many examples of this in our own history, in our own faith tradition. We need to discern what comes from God and what does not. And we need to question so that we're not misled, not doing evil out of some fear or some deep, misguided misunderstanding. But the thing we can rely upon ultimately, the thing that is true in our lives as people of faith, just as it was for their disciples, is something happened on that Easter Sunday. Something happened long ago and continues to happen in our lives and in the life of the world. And that is the resurrection. Easter, which undergirds all things, all things that we undertake, all things that we do. This Easter is truly what we celebrate this day. This Easter season happens again and again and again. Something happened with those disciples. Their mixed emotions turned to faith, that Christ was alive in the world. It changed how they looked at time and history. It changed how they engaged the world, how they thought about their responsibilities. It changed how they worship their God and our God. For we are indeed centered in a resurrection faith. Christ is alive in the world, and the world has never been the same. Let us claim that spirit, claim that influence in our lives, and lead where it may lead in this world and the next. Amen.